What? What? We're getting started. I'm sorry, I'm like, I'm just, hold on. Okay, ready? <laughs> what, are, what are we doing? This is a first for us. Wait, that's that's a Fuzzy 2 joke. We're acting this like is. this is our first episode. This is like episode what, 13? 13. I don't know, yeah. but he's probably the closest for like 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 he's a very like and it's he's not here. Okay, let's show him our professionalism. Let's show him what we're up to, okay? <laughs> let's do this properly. What's up everybody and welcome to another episode of the Gotta Get It podcast starring Yusuf. Aaron! JP! We want to say thank you guys so much for all your love and positivity and just constructive criticism that you guys have been giving us on the podcast. We are effectively trying to listen to everything you guys are saying and to grow as best as we can. We hear you. We feel you. We need you. We love you. And we're happy that you're here listening to us today. I feel like you've gotten a lot better since you did that Ben Baller podcast episode. Hey, you know that podcast reached like number 30 on the charts of top podcasts he's like top five percent of all podcasts like i, I looked at two million podcasts and you're a big fan of him yeah it's really good I, I even listened to the episode you did really good hey, you did well. i did yeah once we 100 percent get all of our shit together we're gonna have him on he's like he's fanboying we can have him on <laughs> no i know like but i want me. us we to be like at 100 percent. we're still growing we're still going okay on then the i'll up. say this because the audience will like to hear this I'm leaving on a charity trip from April 11th through 20th. During that time, JP, I'm looking at you when I say this. I don't need to look at Aaron. Mm-hmm. I give you full control. Reconstruct the room. Buy new desks. Buy the gotta get it banner. Do whatever we need to do and let's get ready. Recast Aaron. If there's any recast, we're to you. I actually got mad at Aaron. We had an argument on the phone the other day, and I was ready to be like, I actually told both of you guys on FaceTime I'm ready to quit. Do you guys remember that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what I was wondering? Mm. After I said that and we hung up, Mm -hmm. how much crap did y'all talk to me behind the scenes? Be honest. Don't hold back. All we said was we were were like, oh, we we expected this to happen at some point. (laughs) (laughs) We were on a FaceTime. And I was pissed, guys. And I didn't want to bring it on the podcast and have a whole episode about it. But I was pissed for personal reasons about what I feel like we're not doing as a team. And what I felt like I was doing solo. So at the end of our FaceTime, I literally look at them and go, guys, I'm ready to quit. But the problem is I can't quit because I want the podcast. So if I was going to quit, I'd actually take you guys to court and try to get got to get it for myself. <laughs> JP, if you'd like to come with me, that's fine. Oh, I'll have you. Okay. Aaron, we got to take him to court. <laughs> okay. First off, we, what? Yeah. That's so much work. We just started. Yeah. But how else would he get the podcast? How about this? How about you guys get the got it and I'll get the get it? <laughs> what I'm saying is I wouldn't quit because I want the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So if we got to go to war, I'll go to war. I'm not leaving. This is my life. I'm not leaving got to get it. I think it'd you be easier than going to court. I think it'd just be like, Aaron, here's how much do you want for how it? How much do you want for it to kick you out for me to take it? and then Because I'll, I'll do like seven episodes a week if it was my own. One million dollars. Okay, you see the way my bank account is set up? <laughs> anyway, negative. How are you going to ask? I say that to say, as a team, guys, whatever business you guys are working, if you have friends that you're working with, one, it's really hard to combine business and friendship, but we're doing a great job at it. Two, it's not always sunshine and rainbows. 
You're gonna go through difficulties, you're gonna go through misunderstandings, but the most important part is communication. So me and Aaron had a very tense conversation and he thought I was trying to argue with him. And on the call, I told him, Aaron, I'm not arguing. I'm literally just trying to communicate to you my feelings. I'm sorry if they're coming off as aggressive, but it's just because I'm really passionate about what I'm sharing. So communication is key. But I will say we have had times in the past where different situations will build up and add and it just comes as a way for you to just let that energy go. Like the last episode we did when we had to reshoot it. Well, that was personal stuff aside. I know, but I'm just saying usually when you're coming across like that, what comes to my mind is like, okay, what else is going on? Is he getting overwhelmed? Is situations <laughs> happen with a girl? I was overwhelmed with the pot. No, everything in that conversation was driven by the podcast. Okay. So that's we're not going to bring it up. But everything was driven by what was not happening within us as a team for the podcast. Okay, fair. I was just checking. I, I always have to double check and make sure. I'm good, bro. You're good. But you know the best part is that our next guest knows both of us pretty well. I'm excited for this He's one. like our own like therapist friend. So we have a very special guest for today's episode, y'all. Very, and very special. Before we bring him on, I want to say, and Aaron, you can speak on this too. Um... When I first met him, he wasn't doing what he's doing now in life. I met him solely as a friend in, like, not even in the industry. I met him just as a friend. I didn't care what his career path was. I didn't care what his social numbers were like. I didn't care about any of that. What I cared about having him in my life was the energy that he brought and the wisdom that he brought forth into my life. And he came into my life when I was at a really high in my career where I wasn't the best person. And he was also always a person who gave great guidance and advice. The first story I remember of him is he was filming a video at the YouTube space. And it was in a room that I also needed. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even really know him like that at the time. And he asked me, would you like to do a video for my channel? Mm -hmm. With no hesitancy, I said, of course. Because like I've always been preaching on this podcast, I don't care about numbers. I don't care about views. I don't care where you are in life. Like there's no ego. There's no status. It's about who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. And I did that for him. And then his friend, Lily Singh, caught attention of that and was really appreciative of that and said, wow, thank you for doing that for my friend. And through that, we became really good friends. And there was even a time recently where I haven't spoken to him in years. This is before we started Gotta Get It. Mm -hmm. I was going through a really hard time in 2020. And I looked through my phone contacts of who I should call and his name stood out. Hadn't spoken to him in ages. Called him. Couple of rings later, he answered and gave me a one hour conversation to try to help me get out of that situation and has always been there for me. So I'm really appreciative of this next guest. Well, my story is not as cool as that story. I, I honestly just, it was at 1600 and uh, Alex had him, uh, he had Lily over and some other people and he was there and I was chilling on the couch and I didn't know who he was and I was like, hey, do, do you, do you want to hang out? Like just like chilling, and then we just started hanging out, and then after that, it just started becoming a thing. And like we would like we started playing. Oh, did we play Rocket League together? He didn't play much yeah. video games. No, he we played. He sucked, but he didn't <laughs> but we play played, much. Video we played games. Rocket League, and that's when we were into the whole Rocket yeah. League kind of thing. 
But no, we became really good friends and we just like talked and like we would just have moments where we just like spent hours just straight sitting next to each other talking like a podcast. Mm-hmm. I honestly wish we would have started a podcast like back then. If we did one with him and replaced JP. I think that, that would be amazing. Been. You want to replace JP? Yeah. I'm down. Let's do it. Take him to court? We'll tell him afterwards. All right. A million bucks. Anyways, guys, I'm not going <laughs> to give him an introduction because he doesn't need a label because he does it all. I'd like to welcome all of you to the Gotta Get It podcast. One of the biggest gotta getters that I know, Humble the Poet. Hey! hey. Yo, I love that intro, man. I, I really appreciate y'all. Y'all said nice stuff. Of course, man. Making we appreciate you too, dude. So instead of having like, you know, a standard like, let's go through this flow, let's have this structure, you brought up the idea of like, let's just talk as friends. Let's just be there and talk as friends and have a conversation. Yeah, completely. Completely. I think that's, that's, those are the best types of conversations. And, you know, even when you speak to somebody you don't know, even though we know each other, it takes a little while to kind of like scrape off, you know, some of the new stuff. And then all of a sudden you get deep and you get in. So I'm excited to catch up with you guys. have a great I mean, I will say like I, I, I mean, I know we know it, but I really love your backstory from like how you started as a teacher and stuff. And yeah. I'd love like to hear that. What do you think? Yeah, humble. I want to say I know you're here and you're thinking that we're gonna get into our live stories and tell our personal stuff. <laughs> this episode is not about us. It's uh, about you. It's about you, sir. Yeah, no, I'll tell you guys my story. Um, I don't even know how much of my, of my story you guys know. Um, yeah, I was living a completely different life. I'm Wait, before you get started, I'm sorry for the interruption. People on the podcast hate when I interrupt. Can I ask you something? Yeah. Do you like being referred to as humble? I don't mind it. And that's a good story in itself because my, my legal name is so hard to pronounce that literally the only time I ever hear it pronounced properly is probably when I'm getting in trouble by my parents. My sisters don't <laughs> pronounce my name properly. <laughs> Nobody pronounces my name properly. Nobody in school pronounced it properly. So because of that, I've never had this like affinity for my legal name. And then can we try? Yeah, of course. Uh, okay. It's you true. guys, you uh, say it. You say it properly. <clears throat> it's goer. Say it one more time. Goer. Goer. Gunwer. Gunwer. So you don't I pronounce. You, yeah, you don't pronounce yeah, the end. You don't I pronounce mean, the end. You don't Gower. pronounce the end. So like, you know, you say hard. like kangaroo or bang you don't really say the end you don't say the end mm-hmm. so it's gower. gower so like k gower gower yeah it's, it's yeah so gower gower yeah gower gower and it could be a gower. w or a v yeah so then in school they call me canwer and then a lot of other people call me gunwer so all of these are just mispronunciations of my name so then when, when humble got popular i was like that's cool i mean it's so not very humble to it? call yourself humble but at the end of the day it's the easiest one to pronounce Humble is a really cool name. Oh, that's a really it. cool name. But how do you spell your name? K A N W E R. That's how my parents spelt it. I wouldn't have spelt it that way. But K- <laughs> 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 I used to be a school teacher. I learned the phonetics of this. But uh, oh, okay, Mr. Singh. Yes, how Mr. Singh. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. K- K- All right. So tell us about that. Tell us about that. You being a school teacher, like, what? Where, where does it start? Where does humble? Yeah. Even even before all of that. So what it was. Yeah was you know when i was when i was super young is when my mom like when i was growing up my parents my parents come from punjab um you know the northwest part of india and they came in the 70s and i'm the youngest of three kids i got two older sisters and we kind of grew up super like you know half canadian half Punjabi, doing all that stuff we moved because my mom got a job at the kellogg's factory and it was around the corner from the house. So, like, literally, she could walk out her backyard, walk five minutes one way, and she was at work. And my dad drove a cab. 
So like they were just like living the life. And then within a year, my mom got injured at work. She like messed up her shoulder. Mm. And then she got really sad and really depressed. And then she got into spirituality through that depression. And she introduced spirituality into the family. So before this, I had like a mushroom cut. I was like a little mushroom cut kid. You know, my parents were trying to blend me into society and all that. And then my mom discovered Sikh philosophy. Well, even though she was raised in it, she never really looked at it. And then when she discovered Sikh philosophy, what she did was she kind of brought it into the house, um, brought his tenants in, but then she'd also make me go to like youth camps, like little young kids camps. And I'm sure they have them for different, you know, faiths, different religions, summer camps, all of that. And then I grew up going to these camps. So I went, you know, I started going when I was like seven years old, all the way up until I was like 16, 17. And then by the time- And what were the camps? In the beginning, you're just learning like, you know, historical figures and names and learning how to read- uh, you know, the different hymns, the same way someone would learn how to read the Quran or learn how to read the Bible, stuff uh-huh. like that. Um, but then I started, as I got probably around middle school time, I started going to these deeper ones, which were like philosophy, like learning about the ego, learning about attachments, learning about greed, oh, wow. learning about lust. Like I was learning about lust when I still thought girls had cooties. And, <laughs> you know, in addition to the stuff that I learned, what ended up happening was you spend so much time in these camps you end up becoming like a volunteer for them. So by the time I'm 16, I'm teaching the eight-year-olds. So I started getting, I had all this experience working with kids by coming up in this system. So then I go to university and I'm doing a degree in IT, I'm coding, I'm math heavy, I'm doing all that type of stuff. And then, you know, we're watching TV one day at my house and that TV show, Boston Public, which was like this ratchet ass high school drama was on. And I was like, this looks so cool. Mm-hmm. And then my sister said to me, she's like, why don't you, go, why don't you become a teacher? And I was like, I never thought about that. And then she's just like, you have so much experience working with kids already, you'd be great for it. So what I thought I was going to do was like a traditional, like get an MBA, get a job and, and just live life. So then I, I faked a bunch of uh, volunteer experience. <laughs> I, got some, I got some people to hook me up with reference letters. And I, and I applied to teacher's college at the same university that I went to. And I like, generally people like plan this out like three years in advance. And I like packaged this whole thing up in two months. And then, like, did the interview really, like, double down on, like, you know, diversity and being a minority hire and being a male who wants to work with little kids. And then I got in teacher's college. And then from teacher's college, I started hustling. Um, I started skipping class and volunteering in classrooms really early. Wait, what, 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 what were you teaching? What subjects and what grade levels? So when you're a student teacher, you're pretty much the assistant to a teacher. So my first half of, of, of the year, I was doing grade one. And I was doing grade one in a school that I actually went to when I, when I was in oh, middle cool. school. Yeah, and, and, and that school was in a challenging neighborhood. So it was bananas because I was teaching kids of whose parents I went to school with. Some of these, some of these girls had kids mm-hmm. at like 14, 15. And now I was teaching, I was teaching their kids. And uh, so I did grade one the first, I did grade one for the first half. And then the second half, I did grade six. And then, you know, it just gave me the spectrum of just like the differences working with super young kids and super old kids. And then from that... What was your your favorite to work with? Just curiosity, like age-wise. The young kids are fun, but they take way more energy. You know, (laughs) the the older kids are way more paperwork, but Mm -hmm. you can explore more with them. You can go deeper with them, right? Now, I I, I have a question for you. Yeah. So one thing that I took from what you said is at a very young age, you were learning about 
things like philosophy, spirituality, ego, yeah. things that I personally feel like should be taught in grade school, but aren't like I didn't get in, introduced into that world until my 20s. And now at 31, I'm still learning about it and still trying to understand that level of life. Yeah. And you grew up with it, which I think is is beautiful. Now, when you were teaching these students, were you teaching them these same things or were you teaching them the basics of what grade school is today? Well, you know, like... Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying. So it was a combination of both. Like, obviously, you have a, have a curriculum and what you have to teach them. So, you know, like when I became a teacher, I, I, uh, most of the years I, I spent teaching grade four, grade three. And, you know, you got to teach them how to, like, add double-digit numbers, how to, you know, do long division, how to do, or, you know, learning about the, the native people or the settlers or learning about magnets. You have to teach them all that stuff. But at the same time, like, you're also teaching them soft skills. So soft skills mm -hmm. are cooperation, communication, uh, independent work. All of these things, you know, where, is where you have an opportunity. So, like, trying to teach kids empathy is hard because they're not wired for it. You know, like young kids aren't really wired to, to, to give a shit. They're not, but I think it's it so essential. It is it's essential. so essential to be introduced at a young age rather exactly. to try to introduce it to somebody when they're in their 20s. And like I brought it up to people in the L.A. circle and they've looked at me like I, I brought up the word. I believe like I was talking to a girl and I said, I believe in energy. I believe in spirituality. And she looked at me. Oh, God, just like everybody else in L.A. <laughs> Because she, she's so ignorant to it. Yeah. She doesn't get it. Yeah. And I feel like had it been introduced at a younger age in my education system, it wouldn't have been such a far-fetched idea that I just believe in this hoopla that got made up. Like a lot of these people think it's something that's new, not yeah. understanding that this is – this dates back to, you know – Forever. For, forever. Yeah. It's always been there. Yeah. So that, that, that's so dope to hear that you grew up with that because it takes so it, it it gives so much value behind what you say importance and like like you're not just a person who, hey, guys, this is my book, which we're going to get into because he's a self-proclaimed author, which his books are out of this world. Mm -hmm. But you, you have a, a, a merit behind what you say and what you preach. Yeah, I think it took me a long time to figure out, like, the reason I ended up becoming a teacher, like, the the reason the idea got sold to me was this idea that, like, yo, you could work this job for, like, 40 years and no two days will be the same. Because I was mm. so afraid of that idea of, like, every single day feeling the same, getting stuck in a rut, getting caught in routine, 20 years going by, you're like, where's the time gone? Nothing new's happened, there's no growth. And I definitely didn't want that. And I knew a corporate job was going to create that for me. And, mm -hmm. you know... Obviously, you know, with immigrant parents, they want you to, like, be super successful. And teachers aren't the highest yeah. paid jobs or anything like that. As well as, you know, nobody has a, has a clear understanding of what it actually means until you're in it. And, and, and I love what you said about, you know, stressing the importance of energy, stressing the importance of empathy. And even when I was exposed to it, I wasn't exposed to it by great teachers. I was just, you know, it's kind of like you guys both know how to work out. That doesn't necessarily mean that you guys know how to teach somebody how to work out. It's a separate skill. You know, go back to high school and go to think about some of those hard classes you had. You had a teacher who understood it, but he didn't know how to deliver it to you. He didn't know how to break it down and make it digestible. He didn't know how to make it easy to understand. And, and that's where I think you're absolutely right, which is like, how do you start with kids super young 
and you teach them the basics. Like teaching them the basics of like, when you're upset, take five deep breaths. You know, we're not going to call it meditation class. We're going to call it the re- making your relationship with your breath. Like breathe, how that makes you feel better. And imagine all of us learned that at age five instead of us learning that now in our 20s and 30s and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I was and, trying to give Aaron a lesson in that during that one heated podcast that we had. When I was like giving you guys that. You do it, you do it so much better, Humble. <laughs> hey, come on. All right, JP, JP, me. let's replace Yusuf with Humble. What do you say? Hey, stop this. <laughs> All right, so now, oh, so you started off as a teacher. How did you become the social media? No, influencer? no, no. I, I don't want to get there yet. I'm sorry to cut you off. I know you guys hate when I cut Aaron off, Aaron. I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry, but there's a, there's still. I, I, I want to learn more about my friend, and there's a question that I have for him. Okay, let's May see I your ask question. It. Yes, I'm you sorry, gotta getters. I know you hate one. I don't do this intentionally. It's He's just, just different. Two different personalities. He's yeah. very overpowering. And I'm very. It's not listening. even that. I, Al- yeah, alpha and beta. No, I have hey, a question. Alpha that. in its own different way. Okay, alpha. I don't care. Call this me is a perfect. beta. Call me alpha. What I don't care about no, labels. But this is perfect because we have humble here, and he's watching and listening, and he's gonna tell us what he thinks later. Okay, but I have a question for him. May I okay. ask it? I'll ask for. Permission. You don't have to ask my permission. Well, in the comments section, apparently oh I do. <laughs> humble. Yes. You being a teacher. Yeah. And you going to the schools that you went to, which taught you things that aren't learned in the American curriculum. Yeah. How do you feel about the American curriculum and schools today and what kids are taught and as opposed to what they could be taught that they're not taught, if that question makes sense? Yeah, 100%. You know, well, first off, Aaron's definitely not beta. Aaron's like a alpha wrapped in a teddy bear but the alpha is there wow see let's trade him out i'm not no i'm not saying Me? Bear. That's, <laughs> that's probably why y'all butt heads so much two alphas button heads that's probably what it is but uh back back, back to that <laughs> let us back know in the comments the below <laughs> thank you though back, back to that question teddy bear. yeah no you know what it is it's you know a lot of people talk about school being practical and like there's actually proof that if you teach kids like if you even if we all think about our own lives and everybody listening to uh, especially those people who are working careers, what you'll realize is, you know, your your degree, your resume didn't play a factor in your success as much as your personal skills. Like people work with people they like to work with. Uh, opportunities come from people who are likable. Um, you know, people who who have persistence get farther in life than people with high education. You know, people who stick with it, people who have work ethic. All of these things aren't really necessarily focused on in school. What the, what they are is they're like the other side of the report card. It's like what the parents talk, what what the teacher tells the parents at parent teacher night, but it's not what they get a grade for. And so I think from that side, that definitely needs to be focused on a lot harder. The thing with school is it's just it just hasn't been updated. It's really the way you're looking at school right now. In, from everything from the timing to the bell, all of that's really designed to get kids into this industrial workplace. So back in the days, like you know. If you went like a couple hundred years ago, especially in America, everyone lived on farms and every kid worked. As soon as they were able to work and pick up a bucket, they were working. And then when we had the industrial age and we had factories, what were you gonna do with these kids? First, they put the kids in the factories and they're like, oh shit, this is messing the kids up because the kids aren't getting enough sunshine. The kids aren't growing anymore. So then they had to start reducing, uh, increasing the age of how old you could be to work. Because you could work on a farm as soon as you're like five, six years old, but you can't work in a factory until maybe you're 18, 19. And from mm-hmm. that came like the introduction and the invention of the idea of being an adolescent. You know, teenagers 
three, four hundred years ago were married. You know what I mean? Now they're, they're a whole subset of people and they're viewed as these like rebellious, dumb kids and all this type of stuff. But school was a reaction to this. Let's put them in school and let's put them in school and let's get them ready for this work. Let's get them ready for the mm -hmm. work day. Let's let them hear the bell so they know the day starts, the day stops. Let's let them, you know, snitch on each other by, uh, by relying on authorities to keep them safe. Let's create this unrealistic world. And then when they go out into the real world, they just get chewed up and spit out. It's like you leave the zoo and you go, to, to the, you go into the jungle and you're not really prepared. You know, there's, there's no talk about entrepreneurship. There's no talk about taking risks. Um, there's no exposure to like figuring out your, your obsession, you know. When we teach kids science, we, we you know we'll dabble in rocks, we'll dabble in magnets, we'll dabble in uh, you know doing other fun experiments. I, I think this is going to be our longest episode because there's a lot of questions I want to ask him. But why do you think, and you being as a teacher, why are we taught these things? Why are we taught about science? Why are we taught like okay, I understand why it's important to know our history and what goes on in the history books, but why are we taught about science? Why are we taught about mathematics? Because there are so many students who go up to their teachers and ask them am I going to need this in the real world? Like, am I going to need chemistry or algebra or any of this? And the teacher will look at them and say, no. Well, and why well are that's we not true. And so the thing is, when they're young, you're exposing to them as much as possible because they might find something they're obsessed with, right? You know, if, if, if we think about, um, if you think about, for example, like kids that get into music, sometimes it's just you put a keyboard in front of them and then they started playing and then they fell in love with it. You know, some, some, some of the greatest scientists in the world had to get exposed to science to become that scientist, right? Same thing with historians. And now, especially in this world of, you know, niche YouTube channels, like every single one of these people who does something amazing on, a, on YouTube had to have been exposed to it. However, it's not done enough. And it's also, they don't focus on the fact that there's also the thinking process of it, right? So... When you're teaching a kid math, it's not really about two plus two is four. It's really about if you got two apples and two oranges, how many fruits do you have? But then you got to level it up and you got to be like, you got two apples, two oranges and two carrots. How many fruits do you have? And whenever I ask that to an immigrant parent, they say six. And the answer is not six. The answer is four. Because I said, how many fruits do you have? Not how many things do you have in total? And these key words are what you're supposed to teach kids. And that's the stuff they need in real life. You know, if I got to... If I got to go, you know, buy some soap to, to, to clean my house and this is how big my house is, like figuring that stuff out matters on a certain level, but it also creates a level, a style of thinking. You know, even today when we're talking about, you know, shooting separate visuals for this on, on my phone to ensure that it's clear, like that was, that's problem solving. That problem solving is really good. The problem is from an, the interesting stuff is time consuming and it's expensive and it can't be done when you got 30 kids, 30 kids in the class. And that's where it's a challenge. Like one year I was teaching the fifth grade, I had 35 kids in a little portable classroom outside. I only had like 25 hooks for their jackets. And I live in Toronto, like where it's winter. So you're set up not to succeed based off, you know, government cutbacks and all this type of stuff. And then in some senses, when you have so many kids, you know, in one room, you're really just doing behavioral management. Which in itself is important. You're teaching these kids how to, how to coexist with each other. You're showing them like, hey, you're sitting beside this other kid. I don't care if you don't like them because in the real world, you're going to have to work with people you don't like. And certain skills are going to have to get developed over there. You're going to have to learn to not be so aggressive or assertive. And you're going to have to learn to also not be so defensive. You know what I mean? So 
a lot of the, a lot of this came from the right place. It's not like there's some guy just rubbing his hands and laughing at us, being like, ha ha ha, I'm messing up all these kids. But at the same time, it's a little bit outdated. But also, I think most people just have to get plugged. They're just getting plugged into the world, right? Like most of the people I, at the I end think, of the day. I think the most important part about what you're saying is is it's outdated. Like if yeah. I, as a future parent, had an opportunity, let's say there was a new curriculum that came out or in a new school, and it said at our like LeBron James started his school, right? But it's under the same infrastructure of what school is. Subjects, you know, tests, this and this and this and this. But if there was a new curriculum out there that said, you can allow your son to go or son or daughter to go to this school, which is going to teach you math, science, history, yada, yada, yada. Or you can allow your son to go to this school, which is going to teach you meditation, uh, classes on empathy, classes on ego, uh, classes on... Um, the importance of understanding racism and inequality and i would put my son in that school yeah i heard i heard a really good idea which was if you're learning how to build or fix something go to traditional school everything else learn it by yourself you know everything else you can learn it on youtube everything else you can find on the internet but if you're learning how to like technically build something or fix something you know like fix a broken bone build a car go to school for that Everything else you can learn, you can learn on your I own. I get that. And, I get that. That's beautiful. And I, and, I, and I think also it's like, I love what, I think it was Dame Dash that did it. He like, he did something where he like, he took his son, gave his son 20 bucks and he's like, you're buying everybody, all seven of us dinner tonight. Go figure it out. And then his son had to go out, go to the <laughs> store and he bought two hats for 10 bucks a piece, went on the street, sold each hat for 20 bucks a piece, doubled it up to 40 bucks. And then just kept flipping, kept flipping. End of the day, mm. showed up with 200 bucks, to, you know, to buy mm. dinner for everybody. So there's a lot of that, like, integrative, real-world learning stuff that has, especially in a country like America, has proven to be successful. But not everybody wants to be a hustler and an entrepreneur, and they shouldn't have to be. Mm-hmm. But I do think these old ideas that attending school, going into debt to go to university, this is going to somehow provide you with some safety and security, like, it doesn't, you know, it just puts you in debt. And debt is, is, is a form of indentured servitude. Like, because you're in so much debt, now you got to keep that job, which pays you a, a salary, which in itself is predictable. You make the exact same money every two weeks. So then you allocate every single dollar because you know exactly how much you're making. And you just keep yourself in debt. You make your minimum payments on your credit card. And now you're screwed. And now you have to work. And then something like a pandemic mm-hmm. hits, it flips everybody on their head. And they don't know what they're going to do, you know, whereas if somebody's in an entrepreneur space, for example, they're already used to the roller coaster. They're used to the day, you know, one day, one month, you know, you make the bag, seven months go by, nothing. You know, three more months, great hey, things I'm happen. I'm in that position right now, let's get it. <laughs> but, and that's the thing, and even in our conversation, it was just reminding you of the resilience, like you've been here before. Yeah. You know, yeah. it is the ups and downs. You actually sparked the fire in me, which got me to be like, you know what? Um, I'm I'm at a down right now, but I'm not gonna stay down. Yeah. Like I have an option, I can stay down. Mm-hmm. I can keep retelling this sob story to people and about me being lost, or I can let my resilience speak for itself. Get up, try again, keep going, and you know, figure out what I'm going to do and going to achieve in my life. Which you're the conversation I had with you in 2020 yeah. helped a lot to get there. Have you heard yeah. of Sisyphus? I mean, humble- the Sisyphus story? What was that? Sisyphus. Sisyphus. No. Mm-mm. No. All right. So this is a dope-ass story. So Sisyphus is kind of like... Sisyphus was used as the, the analogy for hell. 
So Sisyphus is this man who's pushing up a big boulder. And he's pushing up a big boulder to the top of a hill. Oh. And, and I'm sure you guys have heard it. Then as yeah. soon as he gets to the top of the hill, it rolls back down. And then he has to go back down and roll, you know, because it's, it's a hill. So he's, he's pushing mm -hmm. it up, watching it roll down, pushing it back up, watching it roll down. And Sisyphus is our lives. So now, for example, let's say you're in high school, right? You start in grade nine, you're at the bottom of the hill, you push your way all the way up to grade 12. Now you're the most popular kid in school. You know everybody, you know all the teachers, vibes is good, everything. Then you graduate. Okay, you graduate, now what? Now you're back at the bottom of the hill. You're a freshman at a college. You're a new guy at work. You don't know anybody. All your social currency is gone. And now you're pushing yourself back up. And we promise ourselves that we're going to hit that top, but there's always the next day where it rolls back down. You can win a Grammy, you can win an Oscar, you can, you know, you can, you can secure a bag and, and a deal, and then the next day it rolls back down. And one of my favorite philosophers is a guy named Albert Camus, and all he said was, imagine Sisyphus happy. And that's one of his famous quotes, which is like, imagine he realizes that it's absurd what life is, but he's just smiling the whole time. He knows once he gets mm. to the top, it's going to roll back down, and he'll, focus, and he'll focus on pushing it up again. And it's the same idea, like, you know, one episode I totally, of the podcast. I, I, I totally time. get that, that. I totally get that ideology. And I actually love that because that pertains so much to my life. Yeah. Because, like, I won the streamy for Entertainer of the Year. Yeah. I was on stage and I made a I misspoke. And I write about this in my book. And I, I don't want to say what I said now, but I misspoke. It caused the corruption. A couple of years later, my life went down. And now I understand. It's the Sisyphus philosophy. But in the story of Sisyphus... What was his objective in getting the boulder to the top? What we believe is, because most of us, we're, we're raised in this idea that the destination matters, right? Like hitting a goal matters. Uh, the happiness comes in, in really recognizing that the positive emotions come from the pursuit. So the idea is he's having fun pushing the boulder. He doesn't care but, if it's up or down. But why not, if there's no goal for him to get at the top, why not when it goes to the bottom, just be like, I'm keeping it at the bottom? Yeah, but that, and that's what some people do in life. They're like, life has no meaning. Why live it? No, I understand that in regards to our life, but I'm trying to understand. And I'm going to Google more on this and understand that because I love this. And this is the first time I heard this. Yeah. But what was his personal? Oh, no, no, no. The, so the original story of Sisyphus is a description of hell. So there is no purpose. And what I'm saying is this philosopher, Albert Camus, took this popular story and he reframed it. So what he's ah. saying was, instead of looking at Sisyphus being in hell, try to imagine him happy. And then what he's saying is, as humans, we get to choose our boulder, but we have to have a boulder. Got it. Do you feel yeah. what I'm saying? And that it's like, a, oh, you know, you guys aren't, so we're good. not doing this podcast to get to the end. You know, the, mm -hmm. you know we're doing this yeah, podcast to enjoy it while it's yeah. happening. We're pushing the boulder mm -hmm. and it's not meant to be mm -hmm. easy. It's only worth it if there's a little bit of a little bit of push. You know, an easy day in the gym isn't a good day in the gym. Right. You do it because there's got to be a little bit of resistance, a little bit of discomfort, a little bit of unfamiliarity. And it's the same idea. And, and the problem is what we believe, especially in life, is like, nah, it's supposed to be autopilot. It's supposed to be happily ever after. It's supposed to be once I win that streaming, it's all good. Once I get that million bucks, it's all good. And it's like, no, man, it's supposed to be, you know, once you get that million bucks, now you can afford your boulder. <laughs> you can afford to pick a new challenge. You can afford to, to launch a new product or, or start a podcast and, and, and be able to afford the cameras and the equipment and now start this, even if it's not generating anything today, you know, believing that it may later or that you don't care because you're just having fun having the conversations. And at the end of the day, why do we do anything, right? It's to have these positive emotions. It's to feel good. We call it happiness, but really happiness comes once in a while. 
But what we can do is if we, if we start saying, yo, forget the pot of gold. Let me have as much fun as possible on the rainbow. And I, I feel like we win. And I think that's what that Sisyphus idea is. So when I hear about you talk about the ups and downs, it's almost like, yo, I'm on a roller coaster. This is exactly what I'm expecting. Yeah, it's also it's like that uh, terminology. Um, if you're having fun working every day, is it work yeah. or uh, whatever that is? It was so funny. I had a phone call last night with a friend, and he's like, "Man, what am I supposed to do now? Like, I've reached my like. What am I supposed to do? Like, I'm here. Like, what's next?" And he's been getting like really depressed and sad. And I was like, "I mean, what makes you happy? Like, what do you enjoy doing? Like, what is it that gets you up every day?" And um, yeah. I, that's just what I've been trying to tell him. But he always forgets, like every few weeks and he's back to the scene he's like i did it now what i'm like well and and, and that's the thing that's been that, that was probably the coolest thing that i recognized just even coming to la was like a lot of people who just everybody you meet has a crazy work ethic they're all working towards different things and whether i agree with those things or not was, was irrelevant it was just watching people work so even when i was feeling tired or lazy i'm watching all these people do their stuff and, and, and do it in great ways but the the mindset of like i gotta hit this like there's a finish line there is no finish line. Your, your credits roll when you're dead. You know, you should always just be working towards something. And you can say to yourself, like, yo, I'm working towards this streaming. I'm going to win this streaming. I'm going to party tonight. Then I'm going to wake up the next morning and figure something else to do. And I'm happy. Yeah, about one it. thing I want to say about that, I have to add this point, And this goes to your friend. And if he watches this podcast, I hope he listens to this. He doesn't watch, but he listens. Whatever. Listen when they're driving. Hater. Like, that's a big okay, um, what I learned is a lot of the times people think like 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 what humble said about getting to a destination so like my goal is to get to a million subscribers and they think when they get to that million subscribers they made it mm. you don't understand that once you get to that million subscribers all right cool you made it but now the real work starts what do you do if this is what you want to do and you love the real work starts is if I stop now, the million subscribers mean nothing. I've achieved that goal. It's done. Like you won the streamies the next day. It's forgotten about. You're done. The real work starts in how do I go to the next level? How do I keep going? How, like what do I do now to make sure like how do I get that second million subscribers? Because there's no end goal. And if your goal is a certain number, you'll never reach it, especially if you have an ego because you're always going to want more. Like I, I, I felt that problem. Like I need to get 2 million. Ah, oh, 2 million doesn't feel good. 3 million. Ah, oh, 3 million doesn't feel good. I reached 10 million. Still depressed. It's, but it's about the real work starts when you get to where you think your destination lies. And that's where you really have to work to keep going. So the work really never ends. And that's why you have to love what you're doing or else you're going to hate what you're doing and eventually look back and say, what the hell am I doing this for? And quit or be depressed or realize that that thing that you thought you were chasing to achieve happiness, once you get there, it's not going to make you happy. It might make you happy for that split second. Ah, I made a million dollars. I just bought a new Lambo. I posted an Instagram picture on it. It got me 100,000 likes. That happiness is going to fade within minutes. So I hope that point came across correctly because, man, this episode is so special to me because I can literally sit here and talk to Humble for hours. So I'm sorry, got to getters, if I'm talking a lot, but like I'm gaining so much from just listening to this man yeah. speak. And I could literally sit here and talk to him. For I'm getting hours. hyped up again. I was, like, oh. I was gonna say to your friend, you know what you should say to your friend when he goes, "I don't know what to do." Be like, mm -hmm. figure out the hardest thing you could ever do and do that. Mm. What's the biggest goal you can set for yourself ever, ever? Not the biggest goal that you can reach. What's the biggest goal you can ever set for yourself that you want like to do? Realistically, to him, like, because I mean, like, he he doesn't like. 
Because he's like me and him have a similarity where we'll say something, but oh, we'll never be able to do that kind of mentality. What, what, so, I mean, but you guys are both. I mean, I mean, you and Fusi right now. You guys are both have successfully manifested quite a bit already. You know, maybe in scale and and and, and, and to Fusi's point too. But once you hit a million subscribers. That's also an invitation to be in a room with people who have 10 million to remind you that you, you ain't shit, right? So yeah. the, the, issue, <laughs> the, the issue isn't even the happiness that comes with a million subscribers. The issue is the promise you made yourself when you get that million subscribers. And how would you know? Because you don't have a million subscribers. And then when you're going from a million to two million, you already know that one million ain't going to do it for you. But you trick yourself into believing that somehow two million is going to be the difference. And th there's this dope thinker, I, I can't remember his name at this point, but... He was talking about, he grew, up, he grew up poor in Queens, New York, and he talked, he made all these goals about traveling, earning, stuff like that, and then he hit, you know, $100 million, did all that. He goes, I did everything that I said I was going to do, and it didn't feel better. And then I realized the reason was I changed my life, but I didn't change myself. So, mm. you know, so the success of hitting a, a million subscribers is not the million subscribers. It's what it did to you as a person. What it did to your mm -hmm. discipline, your mindset, your ability to adapt and adjust, your work ethic. That is the reward that, that, that the 100 million subscribers gets you. It's not the 100 million subscribers. It's that You know journey. the funny thing? Humble, one thing I want to say to that is you talked about what it does to you as a person. But a lot of the times what people don't recognize is I want to bring up two points real quick if I'm allowed. Got to get her. Am I allowed? What, do you think yeah. So? yeah. I love, um, I love JP gave you a thumbs up on an audio podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no, because we have We're visuals video too. too. We're okay. video. Um, <laughs> so I'll bring up the second point after, which is be careful what you wish for in life because you just might get it. That's a quote that I made for myself. But one thing I want to say is you talked about when you get that million subscribers, what did it do for you? The discipline it taught you. But a lot of people don't understand is by reaching that million subscribers, you might be in a worse position as a person than you were before you had it. J. Cole said it best when he said um, something along the lines of, uh, yeah, it's dope. You came a long way, but you went the wrong way. So a lot of the times reaching that destination point and thinking that you're going to be happy, be a better person and everything, you might be a horrible person. And that line resonated with me so much because I had dreams and ambitions of I'm going to have millions of subscribers. I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to be in Hollywood movies. And I wished for that. And the reason I tell people all the time, be careful what you wish for, because it just might come true is because nothing comes for free. It always comes at a cost. So me getting that a million subscribers, 10 million subscribers, winning that streamy, because there are a lot of things that I did negatively in my life at the time, I lost the relationship with my parents during that era. I stopped talking to my close personal friends. I became a very selfish person. I endured a lot of drama, put myself in a lot of drama. My addiction worsened, my depression worsened, my anxiety worsened. So yes, I got everything I asked for, but it came at a severe, 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 severe cost to my personal life. And it didn't, it didn't make me better as a person. It actually set me back which I looked back a lot of the times when I was sitting in my $13,500 a month penthouse in 1600 Vine isolated by myself. And I was actually looking back at a message from a fan that would say like, man, I wish I lived your life. And I would look at his page and he would be posting pictures with his family, having fun in a small little humble you know, apartment. And I, in my head, I was like, I actually wish I lived your life. And I miss when I was broke. Because I was a much happier, better person when I was broke and didn't have all this. So although I wished for it and got it, 
I didn't know what it came with. But, but are those two but things it also like came correlated? Like, sorry, go ahead. Like, are those are those two things like actually like uh, I'm so humble. Like, so you have all the success, killing the game. You were in multiple movies and stuff. Is that really the reason why you started like isolating yourself, getting sad? No, 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 no. Because there are people who could have been in my shoes and done it properly and mm-hmm. got to that point and not had any of the problems that I had. But everyone has a different story, oh, okay. way they get things. But what it did for my life and not having the guidance around me took me down the wrong path. Okay. Now learning at 31, if I could go back with the knowledge I have now okay. and redo yeah. everything I did, I would do it so properly. But that's in hindsight. Mm-hmm. And that's why at now 30, restarting my life, starting the grind all over again, I'm looking to do everything properly this time and right and understand everything, which is why I also understand why everything happened. Mm-hmm. Everything that I had wished for, like for the July 15th event, hope this goes through, hope I meet Drake, hope I do this. I thank God every day that it didn't come true. Because if God had given me whatever you guys believe in, God, universe, whatever, I'm just using the word God. If God had given me everything I asked for at that time, I wasn't ready for it. And I would have self-destructed even worse than the self-destruction that happened on that date. But now with everything that I've learned and the wisdom that I've gained through those struggles and those trials, I'm now ready for the blessings that can come into my life because I have a different understanding and belief in everything that happens. Back then I would get a $60,000 check sent to me. I would put it on my kitchen table. Not even, I would forget to cash it because it was nothing to me. I'd be like, whatever, cool. I'm going to get a bigger one and like, forget it. Now... If I get a $2,500 brand deal, I spend countless amount of time just being grateful and thankful and blessings and happy for that $2,500 because I understand money differently now. Mm-hmm. Everything's different. But let me ask you that question then. You can't go back and do it differently because this, the only way that gratitude came to you is by doing it the way you did. Like I, I listen, Which you, is exactly what I said, which is why I said it had to happen for me to learn to all happen. of it. And, and, and you know I love J. Cole. Right. And I feel like that line was a hot line more than it was, you know, just straight wisdom, because the truth is, yeah, you know, you went a long way, you went the wrong way. But there's a lot of strength in being able to turn around versus wishing you went the right way, because success is a lousy teacher. When everything goes according to plan, you don't learn anything. Right. And and if you're not learning anything, you're not growing. Right. Beautifully said. So, yeah. So when it comes to like, if we say Fousey, you know, Fousey 2.0, his 20s. Right? Fousey 2.0 prepared Fousey 3.0. You know what's so funny? In my next song, it goes, I killed Fousey 2, bomb Fousey 2.0. There you, you go. You literally said a line in my next song. <laughs> we're, we're on the wave, bro. We're on the wave. And I swear to God. It's, it's, I just think it's so important because, again, it's, it's the same idea of just like, I wish I could go back and take every, all my learnings from today and bring it back. You know, but that's not how it works. It's never how it's supposed to work. And, you know, that famous quote, the, the youth is wasted on the young. You know, because at the end of the day, by the time we figure this stuff out, our, you know, our knees hurt, <laughs> you know, and, you know, <laughs> and we can't eat all the food we want to eat no more. But this is this is a part of it. And I, I, I think what we just have to do is we have to look back at those moments with gratitude. You know, the selfish Fousey, the, the, the one who isolated himself, all of that was important to prepare you for this next chapter. Because now, as you said, like that Fousey wasn't able to receive gratitude in a $60,000 check. This Fousey is able to see gratitude in, in the $2,500 check, which is preparing him to see gratitude in the $25 check. 
You feel what I'm saying? And I, and I feel like that's all super important. So the, I was going to say a joke there, but it was just so out of place. I was going to say, why are my checks going to get lower? Why are they going to go down to 25? <laughs> Can it go a little higher? Because success is needing less, not having more. Ooh, Ooh that's good. You feel what I'm saying? And, and, and that's the thing. Like, I... I want to tell you about my friend, and, 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 and he's not a public figure, but he, he changed my life. My oldest friend on the planet. I've known him since I was four years old. He grew up in an apartment building across the street from my house. He was in my class in grade one, and we have never been in the same class ever again. But we've been friends ever since. He got married, I want to say, in like 2011, 2012. And him and his girl were both from Toronto, and they moved to Germany and they began, they began teaching there and, and working there. And then he went to get married in, in Spain. So I got invited to the wedding. And I remember not having the money to go to this wedding, but having to go to this wedding. And uh, I go to the wedding, see him. You know, you know, it, it, you know the, the bride and groom are doing their thing during the wedding. You kind of see them. You maybe get like five, ten minutes to build with them. And then they take off. And then I don't hear from him for eight years. And then... I have a lot of other mutual friends with him and I casually bring it up to another friend and another friend's like, Here, here's his updated number. You should, have, you should have a conversation with him. And we had a conversation and he explained to me how much shit and mud he went through in those eight years in terms of addiction, in terms of uh, uh, substance abuse, marital problems, health issues, everything. Um, and how he just was lost. And when I was talking to him now, he was a year into, you know, living a post-divorce life. Uh, you know, he had just been homeless for six months and now he just finally got a place, sorted himself out. So I go to Germany, I go to Berlin and I visit him and, and, I, and I shit you not, fellas. I met the happiest man in the world. The happiest man in the world. Um, at this point, this guy has been sober for four years. At this point, he's been off porn for five years. And, he's, and I was sitting there like, what, what, what's, what's wrong with all of that? And no judgment. He's not reading any spiritual books. He's not doing any spiritual practices. He lives all by himself. During the eight years of him just being in the dirt and the mud, he just didn't upgrade his life, never got a smartphone, didn't even know what social media was. So when he sees me, he's got this like, crappy phone that couldn't download Instagram if he wanted to has only know only knows about Instagram by his name but he was living life on his own terms and he was so happy he 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 was spending maybe 25% of his income on his life saving the rest every summer he would spend half his summer farming in Portugal the other half of his summer teaching in Palestine Okay, but here's the thing. You gotta remember, he is not in social media. He doesn't even have mm -hmm. it. So there's no for display purposes. There's no one to show, right? He's sober. There's nobody keeping him accountable. Like there's nobody. None of his friend circle lives there. And what he explained to me was he had to he had to go through therapy. He had to do everything to get better. Even after two years after getting sober and better, his wife still left him. And because of the work that he did through therapy, he he survived it. She kicked him out of their home. He had to be homeless for a bit couch surfing, sleeping wherever he could until he can get set up. But what I realized about him was he did the work and he found the tools and he created a life that he wanted to create. It wasn't the most extravagant life. Um, 
but it was a happy life. And at the same time, like, you know, he wasn't some monk. Like, this guy still, you know, we go to a restaurant, he'd eat two full meals. And, you know, when he was single, he was enjoying Tinder on all levels. Like, he wasn't this self-righteous dude either. But what I learned from him, and I went to see him back-to-back uh, -back Christmases uh, before the pandemic hit, is he found authentic peace so he wasn't chasing pleasure. And it was really interesting. Like, he, he legit found peace, and he wasn't chasing pleasure. Friday night for him would be visiting friends who were doing stand-up comedy at an improv club, or going to, going, to a, 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 going to another friend's house for dinner. Simple things. He had an iPad now, and he was watching sports highlights. And, and, and it was just really interesting from Man. the standpoint of just, like, the simplicity of it. And again, like, at the same time, he's not superhuman. Yeah. I showed him Instagram. You show him three girls on Instagram. I could see his eyes getting wide. It's like, it's <laughs> yeah, like yeah, giving yeah. a kid potato chips for the first time. Like they may never. never I should not hear this sold. story because I'm gonna end up moving out of the country and like living in my own little hut and oh doing what I want. And he, like, I mean, he lives peace. in a major city, and he lives in a major city, which is like you know, mm -hmm. he lives in a, he, you know he 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 he's sober now, but he lives in a city where like the drinking age is 16. He lives in a city mm -hmm. where prostitution is legal. He, he, he went through all of that. And there's a great quote, I think it's by Carl Jung, which is, uh, if you want to go from a bad place to a better place, you have to go through a worse place first. And I feel like that's so, what he, he ended up doing. And he really taught me a lot because it, it, there was no preaching involved. There was no performance involved. There was no one to show. Like when he's farming in Portugal, he's farming because he wants to learn how to do it. He's a Jamaican cat. He, and then the thing was, he grew up without a father, and he, he discovered his father in his 30s. Like, when he, when he was in his 30s at, at, at rock bottom, he just wanted to find out. He thought his father was dead, and he Googled his father, and he found out his father worked at an addiction clinic, connected with his father. His father educated him on, like, hey, man, like, me, your uncles, your grandfather, we have a history of addiction. And it helped mm -hmm. him understand, like, yo, I didn't realize that this, I had this condition in my bloodline because it's not on my mm -hmm. mom's side. And it's just been really brilliant to, to talk to this guy because he really showed me that it's not the external stuff. It's just the internal work. And now he's, he's a sponsor for people. You know, I'm hanging out with him. We, and he could be in a room full of people drinking, having fun, this, is that. He doesn't, you know, it's not a discipline for him anymore. He, he's, he's adjusted himself and had a new relationship. And what I love about it is there isn't a spiritual teacher behind this. There isn't a certain book. There's just a guy trying to get better and mm -hmm. authentically wanting to get better and improve his life. And, and, and it's definitely worked. Humble, one thing I want to say is the same way that you view this friend, um, I personally, and I, I know for a fact they do too, we view you as you view that friend, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, I get it, and I, and I, and I received that, and I, and I appreciate it. I mean, I'm still, you know, you know, I, I'm still in the thick of it as everybody else, and I think... I ain't calling you perfect. I ain't saying you, you got your shit together, down pat, whatever, whatever. I ain't trying to hear to blow your head up, but I'm just saying the wisdom that you share and just the authenticity that you give, and, like, especially you being so disconnected to this L.A. world, even though you lived here for, you know, quite some time... Yeah. It's so beautiful to hear, and I can literally sit here and listen to you talk for hours. But I got that from you guys, too. You guys need to understand that. Like, you guys got to realize, like, when I first came to L.A., yeah, I spent five years in L.A. Um, 
when I first came there, like legit, like I didn't even have 2,500 bucks. And I remember, you know, you know, the, you know, the first time it was, it was in New York. Neither of you guys were there. That was the first time I met Alex and, you know, me and, we don't much. like that guy. We don't talk about him much. He just interrupted us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but you know what it was? It was it was I was with Lily, and all it was is she went to that she went to Brandcast, and you know her, her she was popping so much that she was able to give me all her credentials, so they let me in. I didn't have any subscribers or anything. I was wearing all Lily's uh, ID badges and everything, so they let me through because she didn't have to she didn't have to wear her, wear hers that night. And mm-hmm. then at the end of the night, the, the, the Raptors were in were in the playoffs that year, and. Everyone was invited over to our room to watch the game, and it was like Timothy Taylor. I was in there with you, huh? You were. I was in the room. You were with that shot. You were there with that shot. The the Kyle Lowry shot. You don't even remember. Yeah, no, I thought he meant I was drinking. I was like, no, 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 no. no. That's not what I meant. Kyle Lowry took that crazy shot. Yeah, I was in the room. Okay, so you, yeah, that was the first time I met anybody. You, Lauren, um, Timothy, Alex, everything, and I just remember with Mm -hmm. Alex specifically. he was just like, yo, you ever come to LA? Come chill. And then we hosted like one basketball game. I, I believe you were there because when we were in the same condo. And uh, after that, he invited me to 1600 and I learned about the whole 1600 vibe. But that's when I started noticing. I was like, oh, snap. Like, these are like young, you know, young people with a lot of money, you know, and, and this is where I want to be. But, you know, as you get deeper with people, like, oh, snap. Like, there's a lot of problems that money can never solve. Mm-hmm. And why am I going to spend so much energy and time wasting? And at the same time, too, also Lily was telling me this. Lily was like, "Look, don't come here to play the game. Don't come here to network. Don't come here to do any of that. Come here to get better at whatever you're trying to do. And if you do that, you know, you're more than welcome to stay here as long as possible. Because I feel like, you know, she believed in me, and also for her, she just wanted to have somebody that she could trust around as well." And, you know, she she held that space for me to, to kind of figure my stuff out so I didn't have to play a game. I didn't have to, quote, unquote, play the L.A. lifestyle. I didn't have to be performative. I didn't have to show none of that stuff. But it was also, and I, and I was telling somebody this yesterday. I was saying, I sometimes, uh, other than my childhood friends in Toronto, I'm talking about new adult friends because I moved, I live on a different side of the city right now. So I'm making new friends in my neighborhood. I go, I had way more authentic friends in Los Angeles than I do, I do here. Because over here, and, and it's true, because it, it, especially there's a big lesson that, that I took from you, uh, uh, Yusuf, specifically. Um, you used to say, and back then, you're like, yo, I don't, you used to say back then, I don't care about numbers. I'm only working with people I like. And you meant it, and you actually did that. And I remember explaining, I was like, when I was in LA, I had the least money the least followers, the least clout, the least everything. And everybody was still inviting me everywhere. And everybody was asking me to be a part of their projects, knowing that they were offering me more value than I was offering them by being in the projects. And everybody just wanted to be around me because they actually liked being around me. And then meanwhile here, like recently, within the week, I'm hanging out with some people and a a friend over here is on the phone just saying, hey, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm friends with Humble the Poet. I can get him to, to do a drop for you. I can do this. And that. Yeah. And I forget this because, again, I was in L.A. for so long and I was never looking at myself in terms of clout and fame because everybody had more than me in, in every capacity. Then I come here and it's like, I get it. Like, my, my status is a little bit higher. I went from a C to a B-level minus celebrity or whatever. And I was like, snap, that never happened in L.A. 
when when people call well, me over, be, they want to hang you, out. You'd be surprised because you're telling me the story of you get invited to all these things. I'm in a position right now where I was at the top, and yeah. now I'm nowhere near there. I could tell you endless stories off of this podcast how much I'm treated differently from creators in this space. But those, um, no, those not are, getting. But those are those specific people. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you know who was my squad. My squad was Aaron, Alex, Guppy, <laughs> you. You. <Yeah. laughs> you know mean like, Guppy? Did you know it, that? Yeah, it wasn't big. You know what I mean? It was really? this, Yeah. This was like OG sixteen hundred buying. Yeah, you know, yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. And I'm and, just saying, like, it's not, it's not all sunshine and rainbows here. Oh man. no, no, like, I'm not lost on that. And I never, I never, I never got into that world. You know, I didn't even, yeah. I, and I didn't have to. I, I was fortunate because at the end of the day, you know, I was staying with Lily, and 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 she was really wasn't playing that game in, in, in different ways as well, but. You know, she would always just say to me, like, you know, invite me out anytime you go to 1600. I'm not going to say yes, but just invite me so I know that, you know, <laughs> you still want me to be there. Yeah. And I would just yeah. invite her. And she was just like, you know, she's a workaholic. So she would always just work. There's but, a question I could ask about Lily, but I'm not going to get into it on this podcast. And I have one question I want to ask that people have asked me, but I feel like you'd probably be better suited to answer it. Go for it. So would you, you want to go first? Which one? I'm not asking my question. You're not going to ask it? I'm not asking. Okay. It. So my question is um, everyone's like, so all my friends back home, all they ever see as far as YouTubers, unless they're watching a particular YouTuber, is all the drama and all the, uh, and all the people who are like just uh, what do you call it? Uh, burnout. Like people are like, why are you doing it yeah. if it's so bad? Why are you doing it? Why are you living there and all this stuff? Um, and they're like, is there a way for you to be happy, but still do social media and all that stuff? Like you said, your friend cut all that stuff out of his life. Well, he never like, had it. He never got into it. That's what I want to say. Oh. He, he never, he never got into it. I'm not saying he had the discipline to cut it out. He just, he, mm-hmm. he just during that time, he just never upgraded his phone, so he never had it. Okay. So uh, with somebody who's never been in it, yeah. and somebody who like like us, we're on it like all the time. Um, do you like what kind of advice would you give to someone, especially someone new who's trying to get into social media and people are like trying to like spam like, like right now, everyone believes that you have to spam to get noticed like you have to like just continuously post 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 do this 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 and this like you before he answers this i want to say two things one for those of you that don't know (laughs) humble correct me if i'm wrong humble plans on leaving social media at the end of the year that's a story in itself i did and i proclaimed it and then somebody i really respected gave me a call and told me that i can't uh, okay, so you probably have a good answer for this. Well, wait, question. before he answers that, can I read a t- uh, about what you just said about spamming and attention? Can I yeah. read you a text that really I was working out at the gym? You guys know <laughs> I'm working really hard on this channel and the other channels. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you a text I got from a YouTuber? Yeah. I posted a thing on Twitter and IG, and I said, I don't want to do what I'm about to do. I can't believe I'm about to do it. What was I about to do? I was about to get my butt off and go to the gym and run for the first time. (laughs) So the YouTuber texts me. What are you talking about on Twitter? I said, Jim, LOL. He said, LOL, you fool. Effing clickbait. I put crying face emojis. No drama for me. Angel emoji. Fousey. When views are down, you can't clickbait. You got to create substance. That vague stuff only works when you're popping. You have so many empty posts with no entertainment. My response was, my content is A1 right now across all channels I'm running. Content doesn't equal views anymore, and I get that. But I'm not willing to be crazy, be wild, be controversial for the views anymore. I'll let the content speak for itself. As for social media posts, I could give a F less about Twitter. 
He said, you're still using social like 20 million people are listening. You got to fight for attention. I said, I don't need it. I'm too old for that. I'm on my own path, brother. So you see this mentality that with the question that Aaron's asking that people have about social media these days of what you have to do to get attention to survive, what you have to succumb to. So, dude, it's already been an hour. I think it has. And this is such an important episode and something that I really want people to listen to and digest. So instead of adding another hour into what we're about to talk about, I think it's best we make a part two. Make a part Part two. two. So we're ending the episode right there. Give it a big thumbs up if you're ready for part two. We're not done with Humble. Humble, let them know we're not done with you. We're not done. We're just getting started. We're just getting started. (laughs) And there's too much information to just cut the episode short for time purposes and say, all right, guys, that's all you get. Nah, I want you to hear everything. And like we could do 10 parts on this. So that's the end of this episode. You'll get part two later this week. So be sure to subscribe, turn on your notification bells. And oh, also one thing, if you guys are liking what Humble says, be sure to follow him on all social media because that's all of his feed is just encouraging bits of information. If you haven't already, check out his books too because honestly, whenever I feel down, I just open up any page and it's just like instant gratification. And if you don't know about his books, you'll hear about it in part two coming later this week. Until then... Three, two, one. Gotta get it, gotta get it, gotta get it, gotta get it. We forgot to tell Humble, did you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 <laughs>